Today we'll be reading from Matthew um, chapter 13, verses 44 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasures hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went went and sold all that he had and bought it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore. They drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, which will be willing and gasmish of teeth. Thank you. Well, that is our text for today, and if you like, you can turn in your Bibles over there or look up on the screen, whichever, whichever you prefer. For those of you that are joining us online, you did not get to see my middle granddaughter was turning Pentecostal. <laughs> yeah, she was. Uh, well, last week we were looking at the unforgiving servant. And we saw that we need to be reminded of how much we were forgiven. We need to be living in a place where I remember what God forgave me of. Because what God forgave me of should influence how I, how I forgive others. Because what we have been forgiven is far greater than anything that we will be asked to forgive anyone else. So he gave the parable to show that here's a man who was forgiven a great debt, had never seen that pattern before of anyone forgiven this great of a debt. But as soon as it was forgiven to him, he went away from there. And he had not been a wicked servant before. He had not been an unforgiving servant before. But something happened inside this man when he was forgiven this great debt. And he became an unforgiving servant. He had always walked in such a way that this man who owed him money, he didn't demand it. But now all of a sudden that he was forgiven, he went right out. It said he found it, found the man. We don't know if that meant he made a diligent search. It would seem like the word that is used that he, he, as he's walking through the streets, he saw him and he made an effort to go over there and to get him and demanded that he pay. He had not demanded the day before when he was unforgiven. But this day when he was forgiven the great debt, he became unforgiving towards others. And as uh, someone pointed out to us, just like we were talking about with the, the wheat seeds, there must have been something inside of him that uh, got activated. And sure enough, when uh, he received that forgiveness, instead of it activating more forgiveness towards other people, he instead became unforgiving to the people that were around him. And that's not something that we want to emulate. We have to forgive as graciously those who are indebted to us as Christ did for us. Hanging on to our little debts could cause us to have a big debt again. And that is not something that we want to, to pattern after. So the, the 
master who was doing the forgiving was not God. Jesus taught this in such a way, and we showed you some of the things from the passage that shows you this was not God. But in the end, Jesus comes back to it and said, in the same way, your father. And so that, that's the part that he correlated. Don't take all the other things from the master and try and get any, learn anything from God on that, because as we showed you, this man did not respect the law of God or the will of God. And he just did this for whatever the reason was that he had, had done so and walked in this forgiveness. But let's go over here. We're back over in Matthew chapter 13. We haven't finished over here with these set of parables. But as I was thinking about this particular one, and I knew the kids were coming over, I thought this is a great one to have for when the kids are over here. So we're going to take a look at this because there's some very important lessons that we can learn from these that will hopefully keep us in all of our lives. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now there's a number of different possible interpretations that come from this. Some people have gone so far as to say that we are the man looking for who found the treasure. We are the man who found the pearl. And they'll give you their, their argument for it, but in order to do so you have to get out of all the other parables that have come along here. And suddenly, now we're the, the man who's going around doing these things. And I don't think that, that that works because we don't seek God. God sought us. That was the first thing that happened. God sought us. While we were still, still in our sins, He came and He found us. So it very much the, uh, the, the person here, this is God, who found joy in the treasure that He had. In Romans 3, I'm just going to read some of these verses for you. They are in your outline if you ever want to reference them. But Romans three ten through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So there is no righteousness in us. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Luke nineteen ten. for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, that sure sounds like it's more the person that we see in the parable. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Well, the, the person in the parable is doing the choosing. He picked the treasure that he wanted. Ephesians five twenty five. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. And that sure points to the treasure more so than anything else. So these are just some verses. I wrote them down there in your outline. You can go and read them over some more. But let's get on back here to our passage. And... Uh, Matthew, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the treasure was either found purposely or accidentally. Apparently, it's not important how it was found. But in this field, he found it. Either he was looking in the field for it or he stumbled upon it. If you know uh, oil companies, the oil companies will make surveys 
and they will judge whether a field will have inside what they want. And if it does, then they start to drill. And when they drill, they are looking for something in particular. And when they find the oil and it comes shooting up, then they're happy. They have a treasure that is there. There's lots of different treasures that are in the earth. It does not specify what kind of treasure it is. It just says that it is in the earth. There could be gemstones. They're formed within the earth. There are all sorts of things that are formed in the earth that we consider to be precious, that we consider to be valuable. And somehow he stumbled upon that there was some of that on this area of land. So he found it. It was hidden in the ground. Anything that is in the earth is hidden in the ground. You have to dig down to it to find it. So they uh, either dug down or somehow he found this uh, this treasure. But he knew in order for this to be legal, I have to buy the field. So apparently he's pretty sure that the owners of the field are not aware that the field contains the treasure. It's just like if you sold a field that had oil in it, but you didn't know it had oil in it. Somebody suspected it had oil in it. And then when they bought it from you, they drilled and they hit oil. And now they got all this money coming from it. And you say, hey, I want some of that. Well, you didn't know that treasure was there. But what he's, what he's saying here is, all right, I found there's a treasure there. So I know something is, is there that I want. So I'm going to go and buy the field. I'm going to keep the treasure where it is. I'm going to buy the field. And then I'm going to come back and get the treasure. Then the treasure will be mine. This person that is buying the field is not buying the field for the field. He doesn't care about the field. He doesn't care about the land that's all around it. All he cares about is the treasure that is on it. So he will buy the whole field. If he went into them and said, I just want this section of field, they might get suspicious. So he says, all right, you're selling this field. How much do you want for it? This is what we want for it. All right, I will pay that for the whole field. He bought the whole field, but all he really wanted was that one little section so he could dig down and have the rightful uh, air, be the rightful owner of those things that he wants to, to pull out. <clears throat> now, these are land-based treasures. They are prob- probably gems. I don't, I don't think he found a treasure box, you know, a little X marked spot type of thing. We're not looking at man-made treasures that man put into a box or put in somewhere. We are looking at treasures that were formed in the earth. He found that some were there. And again, there can be all kinds of diamonds are formed in the earth. And maybe he found that there was a diamond mine there. Gold, silver, all kinds of things can be formed. And then people want to go out there and to, and to get it. But the man here, is this is Jesus who sees a great treasure. He sees something that no one else saw. And that gave him a certain value to that land that other people might not have seen. Other people may have come by this land and looked at it and saw the price. Oh, I really don't think I can do much with that land. I think we'll just kind of let this one go. But he saw something that gave this land value. And so he decided to buy the entire field. Now the second parable, we'll get back to more with, with that one, but the second parable goes right along with it. And this uh, picks up in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this merchant is a little different from the other one. This one has gone out and is looking for treasure. We are looking for treasure. I need to find some treasure. I am looking... Particularly for some pearls. This is what we want. We want some, we want some pearls. He's looking for the pearls. So he's headed on out there. 
He's got a certain thing that he knows. Now, some people know pearls certainly better than I do. I don't know pearls all that well. I look at pearls. I know they come in a few different colors that you can get in the pearls. Uh, I've seen pink pearls. I've seen black pearls. I've seen white pearls. And probably there's more colors beside that. Uh, they are nice to look at. I've never had any desire to wear pearls. Pretty much a pearl seems to be a girl thing. It doesn't seem to be a guy thing. Guys also don't seem to... We, we buy them for girls, but we don't seem to have actually have a desire for them ourselves. Uh, they're generally on, on women. Women are the ones that, that usually, uh, usually wear them, and they look very nice. Uh, we may admire them, but most men will say, I don't really want any uh, a pearl necklace or a pearl bracelet or, or pearls in a ring. Uh, now, guys, we may buy diamonds in a ring and, and have that. Most of us have, uh, have that. I have a, a ring my wife gave me that's uh, not, not our wedding ring, but it just has diamonds, or the diamond chips over on the side and then a, a, just a regular uh, wedding band. We'll, we'll wear those. And uh, maybe even some guys might go out there and get a, a gemstone. Sometimes we, we like those particular things. Uh, I don't know if I, some of you may remember a friend of mine who's been out here a few times, Mike Ott. Uh, we had done a lot of things together when we were younger. And his birthday is in September. My birthday is in March. And both birthstones are blue. But I did not like my birth. I despise my I think it's the ugliest thing in the world. <laughs> I, I just don't like it at all. Uh, but I liked his. And so he didn't like his and he liked mine. So we just switched. <laughs> the... the, uh, the, the um, September one, I believe, is a sapphire. It's a nice, deep blue, beautiful, beautiful stone. Uh, we folks that were born in March, we have that, uh, uh, I don't even remember what it's called, because I really don't care about it. I don't like it. It's that light, what, aquamarine? Yeah, it's even a stupid name. See that, aquamarine? Who, who names anything like that? Sapphire. I mean, come on, sapphire. Amethyst. These are great names. And what do we have for March? Aquamarine. I don't understand that. But anyway, it's an awful color. I didn't like the color, so I didn't, uh, I didn't do that. But I do like the sapphire. I think that is a beautiful one. But there's some gemstones out there, and guys would certainly wear those. But pearls, just not one that you generally see guys wear. However, in this day, kings wore them. Kings would be adorned in pearls. It is very possible that in this parable, since he is looking for a very highly expensive, very exquisite pearl that he is looking for one for a king. Now, can you think of anyone in the Bible or in history who would have come down here to the earth to try and find a pearl to give to his king? Well, certainly Jesus came down here and his king is God. He is God, but still God the Father is king. So it would fit in with, with that particular thing. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Now, pearls is plural. He's looking for the, some really good pearls. But when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So he found one pearl, and for whatever reason, this pearl stood out. This pearl was better than all the pearls that he had seen. This pearl was worth Everything that he owned. Folks, I can't think of any pearl that would be worth me going out and selling everything I got to have it. Now you got one pearl. 
That's it. Did you ever hear the story of Cleopatra? With pearls? Uh, I mean, she is, she is anything but someone that you want to model yourself after. But, but she had, um, just for fun, she took a very expensive pearl, dropped it into a, a glass of vinegar where it dissolved and drank it. Just a waste of money. She just was being flamboyant and, you know, just showing off. Uh, can, you, can you imagine, though, having all that, everything you own is in this one pearl. What happens if you lose it? What happens if somebody stole it? But apparently this is not what the merchant is concerned about. So he found the pearl. Someone was selling the pearl. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to sell everything that he's got. So somebody has possession of the pearl. So he's going out and he says, all right, I'm going to go and sell everything I got and I will come back and I will secure the pearl from you. I will buy the pearl from you. So when he had found one, he was looking for a, a, a number of them, you know, that could be three, ten, twenty. I don't know how many he was looking for. And he probably had some money on him because if you're going to go on a, on a voyage, no sense in going there and, well, I'll come back and get it. No, he ran into something he didn't expect. He ran into something that was better. All right, I got to go and get some more. So I got to go home and sell everything I got and I will be back. And then he comes back and he makes that presentation. He sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, in order to go seeking beautiful pearls, you have to leave the place where you are. So he left the place where he was to go seeking, to go find this thing. It's very similar to... uh the man who went and sowed good seed, he is, uh, he's going to take his money and he's going to put that in there to get this, this pearl. Now, you might be interested to note some of the characteristics of a pearl. This is different from gemstones, from things that you find on the earth. This is something very unique to a pearl. So this, uh, as we... Well, I probably didn't give you the blanks there, but the treasure was found. The pearl was sought. The treasure was found, but the pearl was sought. Pearls are not counted as precious by the Jews. You will notice that in the Old Testament there are no references to pearls. Gold, silver, bronze, diamonds, all the other gemstones, we have those in there, but pearls were not considered precious by them. Not saying not counted precious by God. Saying they're not counted precious by the Jews. The Jewish people. They're not mentioned among the things that they had that were valuable. It is the product of a living organism. The treasure was a product of the earth. And if you're going to have a product of the earth, it's going to be made because lava is uh, heated different or, or cooled off different ways and it forms different things. There's different pr- processes happen there. But this is made with a living organism. There's a living organism that will create a pearl. It's the only way that you can get that. It's the result of an injury... And it suffered, it suffered by it and it formed slowly. There's an injury that, occur, that occurs that begins the formation of a pearl. And it forms very slowly. When you harvest the pearl, you stop its growth. How do you harvest the pearl? Take the oyster, you open it up, and you take the pearl out. Now, the pearl will not grow anymore. Pearl is done. 
Also, the oyster's done. Now, uh, the, the pearl is a very beautiful, uh, very beautiful or- ornament, but it's housed in something very ugly. I mean, oysters are ugly. I don't know if anybody here likes to eat them. I don't know if I've ever tried them. I, I, they just have no appeal to me. I look at them and say, oh, no. I'll eat clams. Because I've, I've had clams. And I like clams. I've had um, mussels. They're not a favorite of mine, but I can eat them. I can do mussels. But oysters, because I think you do them raw, don't you? I think so. I think you can. You can cook them too? Oh, I I just never got past the look of it. I really had no no need to learn to like oysters, so I never did. But when you harvest a pearl, it will stop growing. And of course, the church is going to be harvested soon. Now the church on earth is surrounded by corruptible flesh, but it will be removed and it will be cleansed from all its surroundings. As we said, this comes from an ugly oyster and from, this is the second part, it comes from an oyster. The second thing is, it comes from the sea. The treasure came from the earth. The oyster comes from the sea and the sea is a type of godless peoples, nations, and systems. In the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, we could spend some time on it, I could show it to you. The land represents, some of the things come from the land, some of them come from the sea. The sea represents Godless nations, godless people, Gentiles, as they are called often in the Old Testament. The pearl is small and unlike the making of the large mustard uh, tree that we saw earlier, the pearl is, a, is small and it's precious. Now at the auction, he had to sell everything. He had to go home and auction everything off, sell everything off that he had in order to get it. Now, we may wonder, why does this happen? Why would anybody want to sell all they have for one pearl? What can you do? You have nothing now, but you got a pearl. What can you do with the pearl? You can't think of too much you can do with that. I put uh, Adrian Rogers' quote in there, uh, third week in a row. I haven't done that too often, but I'll tell you what, I've really enjoyed, I've, I've got enough to keep me going for another two Sundays, at least, if I wanted to. But I, I think this is the last one we're going to pull from it. But we pulled this one out of it for your bulletin. We live by promises, not by explanations. Too many Christians want explanations on things, but God gave us promises. I don't care if you can't explain the promise, live by the promise. Just God said this. And that's important for us to know for this reason. The pearl is said to be extremely valuable and worth this man to sell everything that he has in order to do that. Now, Chenzo has some some cars for me, so if he's back there, he can he can bring them on up. He's going to uh, show me some things, and we've got some uh, cars that are on uh, picture for us as well. In fact, if you if you want, go ahead and pull up our first one while Chen's is, is coming on up. This is a 1963 Ferrari 250 GTO. In case anybody couldn't uh, look at that and figure it out, the auction price. Surpassed the previous high seller, a 1963 uh, 250 GTO was sold for $70 million in 2018. $70 million. All right, we got Chenzo here. Now, Chenzo's got, he brought out of his collection, I asked him to get the highest priced 
cars that he's got. So he's going, he's got some here and he's going to tell us about what they are. I'm going to switch over to, to this one. So, you, so show me the first one. What's the first one you got? Do you know what this one is? If you can see that on the camera. What's, what's this one? Pagatti. A Pagatti. I got actually one of them on my list. That, uh, I don't know if it's the exact same one, but wow, that's, that, that car right there, that'll run you a couple million. Alright, what's the next one you got? And what's this one? A Porsche 911. Porsche 911. Alright, for all you folks who like those, that'll, I believe, a couple million for that one? One, one, two, somewhere in there? No? Under, under a million? Oh, that's cheap. Sheesh. Get rid of that one. Hey, about this one? What's this one? A Pagatti. Is this, is this, which one was the Mustang? The red one's the Mustang? Oh, okay. So the first one we had was the Mustang Cobra. And then this one is the... Pagatti. Pagatti. All right. That, wow, that is just an interesting looking car. So he brought in a couple for us. Thank you so much. He brought, so we can actually see the, the models there. And I put some up here on the, on the pictures so that you can see them a little bit bigger as well. And besides some of these, I actually was able to pull some of the prices off of. Here is the, um, go ahead and go to our next one. All right, I just don't even understand this one. But this is called a Rolls-Royce Boattail. It uh, sells for $28 million. It does not have golden doors or expandable wings, but the back of this nautically inspired car does open up to a hosting suite. That's what the part in the back there is. Complete with a champagne cooler, sunshade, and storage for porcelain plates. If rolling up in this car doesn't impress your date, it may be time to call it quits. <laughs> the team that put this together took six years to bring this car from concept to market. And they had they believed they created an industry leader in the performance. Alright, go to our next one here. <clears throat> This one, as long as I have my order down in here, right? This is, oops, no. I moved, I moved it over. This is the Bugatti. Does that seem right? It was launched in 2019. It's a Bugatti La Voiture Noire, I think it is. No? N-O-I-R-E. It is also known as the black car in French. It was built as a homage to World War II era Bugatti and has uh, since vanished. This, uh, uh, let's see, today's ode to the earlier Bugatti has a price point of $18.7 million. It has 1,500 horsepower and will go from 0 to 60 in 2.4 seconds. Let's go on to our next one. This is, I can't even say that, I can get the last part of this, but it's, uh, I'll get Daryl, maybe he's Daryl or Nikolai. K-O-E-N-I-G. Koenigsegg. Koenigsegg. All right, no, uh, what he said. <laughs> C-C-X-R Trevita. 
I hope they give you lessons on how to pronounce the car if you're actually going to go out there and buy one of these things. If you're, uh, the features of this, one of this world's most expensive car here, this has an ultra rare car boasts a unique diamond weave carbon fiber finish solution that sparkles when hit by the sunlight. The coating was so difficult to apply that the manufacturing plans were changed and only two of these cars were built from 2009 to 2010 at a price tag of a bargain, compared to these other ones, $4.8 million. This vehicle is more about go than show and has top speeds of over 250 miles an hour. Next one, we have a Lamborghini. I can say that one. This is a hybrid supercar with a V12 engine coupled with electric boost from a supercapacitor system to deliver speeds in excess of 220 miles an hour. It's also completely customizable from the exterior colors to the interior and even the seats with the option of a specially designed leather crafted only for this car. Does that justify the $3.6 million price tag? Yes. <laughs> then we have a Pagatti that's coming up on here. That's the next one. This is a limited edition Pagatti uh, Roadster. And it's a relative bargain at a mere $3.5 million. The man behind the masterpiece stated, engaging in such a challenge to make just 100 cars has meant an impressive effort for a company like ours. Uh, hold up our next one. I think, do we have another? That's the, that's the big one. All right, we'll, we'll call, call on him in just a minute. There is also a... Well, I don't even know what to do with this one. Hypersport, a Lincoln, L-Y-K-A-N. Hypersport, W Motors, Lycan, Lycan Hypersport. This vehicle is so exclusive, there are only seven in existence. It also is one of the fastest cars around with an astonishing acceleration of 0 to 60 in 2.7 seconds. And because no detail is overlooked when it comes to ultra Exclusive luxury performance cars. The designers literally put diamonds in the headlights. Better start saving if you want to purchase one. It will cost you $3.4 million. Now these last two, I got to make sure I read these off to you before we get to our, our highest priced car. This is the Aston Martin. What is it? Vol I thought I heard you say it. Vol Valkyrie? The Aston Martin Valkyrie? Valkyrie. It is a hypercar that sits atop the list of today's priciest vehicles with a price tag that starts at, starts at three million. Its design is nothing short of futuristic and a carbon fiber exterior creates an exceptional weight to go ratio that allows this light car to fly around corners. There are plans to build about 150 of these street legal speedsters. Another 25 track only Valkyrie. AMR Pro models will be produced, costing $3.5 million each. Now, here, I, I, I still have one more to go after this one, but how many have ever heard of the McLaren? 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 All right, McLaren, good. <laughs> so I don't make, I'm trying, Bible names are enough for me to try and get. This has a top speed, clocked at over 250 miles an hour. Price tag starting at $2.25 
And the speed tail rounds out our tour of some of the most elite cars on the planet. Recent auctions have seen speed tails sell for as much as 3.3 million. This car is so fast, it is not even street legal. But if you can afford a speed tail, you can probably afford the cost of a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so still make sure you have access to a racetrack so that you can enjoy it. All right, let's bring up our, our most expensive car that I was able to find. That is our picture right there. And the most expensive car, Ethel will be glad to know, goes to a Mercedes. It is a Mercedes, a 1955 Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. It also has a going Olenhut. I, I don't know. It was sold at auction in May of 2022 for $142.5 million. $142.5 million. This was designed by the renowned engineer Rudy Oldenhock. Probably did not get that name right either. And is one of only two prototype coupe versions of Mercedes' famed Silver Arrow 300 SLR race cars. Named for its curved doors that open vertically to resemble a seagull's wings, this low slung silver coupe features a powerful straight eight engine in keeping with its racing roots and a magnesium alloy body. Sounds like the perfect kitty carpool. Now we read over all those things for this particular reason to keep that one up on our screen. How many feel that this car is worth one hundred and forty two point five million dollars? <laughs> we got Ethel over there. She's she's ready to fork down one hundred and forty two. <laughs> so most people in the room, even with all the other cars, I'm telling you, three million, two point two million, four point five million, seventy. Whenever I'm throwing out these numbers, most of you say, "Oh no, I wouldn't spend that much on a car. I wouldn't spend that much on a car." A long time ago, we would have said, "I would never spend forty thousand dollars on a car." Now that's not outlandish. That's uh, pretty easy to accomplish on a, on a lot of cars without getting too extravagant on the car. You can easily get up to that that kind of money. But if you look at a car like this, sometimes we make judgments on the people that buy them. And we say, oh, I can think of so much better things to do with $142.5 million, right? What makes this car worth $142.5 million? This is important for you to know. What makes that car worth $142.5 million? Or what makes a McLaren worth $3 million? McLaren. What makes it? Worth three million dollars. Someone will pay for it. The only thing that determines the value of one of these cars is what someone will pay for. The value of this car and the value of all those cars that I read for you are not determined by your valuation. You can say that car is not worth a hundred thousand dollars, and that would not change the value of that car one bit. There are some people who say, I wouldn't give you a quarter for that car. <laughs> I don't know who they would be. But <laughs> that would not change the value of that car or any of the other cars that I gave you in the list. Why? 
Because the value of anything is not determined by the people who don't value it. The value of anything is determined by the people who value it. That is it. We had a neighborhood garage sale, yard sale, went on yesterday. And so we had people that were going around and they were putting things out. How many have ever done this? Had a yard sale, garage sale, you put things out. And then you put a value on the thing, right? This is what you like to get for. This is what you hope to get for. You come on by. What determines the actual value of those items? What someone is willing to pay for it, right? If you were to take something of value in your home and you were to go up on eBay and you were to make a listing and put that thing up on eBay and, of course, eBay, they, they submit bids for the thing and one person would outbid another until you finally get to the end of the auction and then say that you put something up there and it was going for $250. That you had a buyer for that item for $250. But you also had someone who was willing to pay $225. You also had somebody who was willing to pay 200 You also had somebody who dropped out at 150 Would you go up to the person who said, I will pay $250? And would you say, I appreciate you wanting to pay $250. I'm only going to charge you 200 because there were other people who didn't value it as much. And so I'm going to lower the price on it. Has anybody ever done that? No. Why? Because the value of what you are selling on eBay was determined by who would pay the most. You had a yard sale. You had two people came on over and they saw your price on that thing of $25 and they, somebody came up and said, I'll pay the $25. Wait, wait, I, I'll pay you 30 for that. No, I'll pay you 35 I'll pay you 40 And if they got all the way up to $50, are you going to say, I don't feel right charging you 50 I was happy to let it go at 25 so just uh, give me $25 and... Would you do that? No, because the value has been increased. Why? Because somebody valued it more. We went through all of that to get to this point. Why is it that we constantly let people and constantly let the devil devalue us and tell us we are worth less when the person who establishes the value is the one who is willing to pay the value? If the Lord Jesus has said, you are the pearl of great price and I will sell everything to get you, why do we listen to people who come along and say, you are ugly, you have no value? I don't like you, you have no value. And why do we let that change how we value ourselves when we don't follow the same practice in the things that we sell? The value of anything is determined by the person who wants to pay the most for it. That is the value of the thing. These car companies are not looking for thousands of people who will like their cars and pay for it. They don't need thousands. They're only looking for a few. Maybe a hundred here. Maybe this one might only want 50. Maybe this one just wants, I don't know, 200 that they're going to make. And uh, if you've never seen the, the movie, how many have ever seen the movie Tucker? Anybody not, not seen the movie Tucker? Oh, that's, that's your assignment. Go home, find the thing, watch the movie.
Tucker. Tucker is one of the most incredible movies that there is. Tucker is an automobile. How many know about the Tucker automobile? A couple people. My daughter does because we made her watch it. <laughs> we watched this a long time ago. Uh, it's a phenomenal automobile. The Tucker automobile, if you wanted to find one, it came out, I believe it was after World War II, I think is when the, the Tucker was made. Uh, and this guy, he just was a dreamer, but he was up against the big three. Ford, uh, GM, and um, Chrysler. They were the, and they were trying to squash him. But how many of you like uh, rack and pinion steering in your car? He was the guy who invented it. In fact, the steering was, was far worse. Rack and pinion was such an upgrade over everything they had. He's the guy who invented it. He invented headlights that turn with your wheel. He invented disc brakes. He invented safety glass. Because up until then, if you came through your windshield, the windshield broke into large pieces and cut people so severely on their way out of the car that they generally died. He's the one who developed, who developed and implemented safety glass. He is the one who developed and implemented seatbelts. The list is pretty long of all the things that he invented and put on the car. So his car was coming out with all these things and the big three had none of them. And his car outclassed all of their cars. So they did everything that they could to stop this guy from making cars. And that's what the movie is about. What he did to overcome those things. He was finally able to get a warehouse and he produced, if my memory serves me cor correct, and I haven't looked at this in a long time, uh, if my memory serves me correct, that he made 52 automobiles. And you can still find some. 52 Tucker automobiles. And then he was shut down. But most of those improvements that he had, that he made, were implemented in the other car companies' uh, vehicles. And you can look it up and find out there are other improvements that he did too. They're just the ones I can remember off the top of my head. But it was a phenomenal movie. The guy who played the guy, Tucker, was, uh, was great. It was, uh, it was a, a fun movie to see for that. But he wasn't selling his for $1.2 million or anything like that. He was uh, really trying to compete with the other, other car makers that are out there. It is so important that we do not let the people in this world determine our value. It is so important that we do not let the devil come along and tell us that you are not valued, that you have no value. That people come up to you and say you are ugly, you are useless, you, are no, you have no benefit for me. That we don't let them establish our value. Because the most important person, the face of this earth and all of heaven, has said you are so valuable that I will sell everything I have and come and get you. Now, we look at these two parables, the treasure and the, and the pearl, and it is very possible that Jesus is showing two different meanings here. That One is, well, I'll put it to you this way. In the book of Revelations, we've been reading through the book of Revelations. As you read through the book of Revelations, I want you to be looking for this. There are three groups of people that come up from the earth. There are three groups of people that are in heaven when John is there that come up from the earth. The first group of people are the saints from the Old Testament. The second group of people are the saints from the church. And the third group of people are the martyred saints 
in the tribulation period. The first group of people, the saints from the Old Testament, that group is complete. The second group of people, the church, that group was complete at the rapture. All that is looking to be added, which is some people make a case for them being added to the first group of the of the Old Testament saints because we're back under the Jewish time. But they do separate them with garments up in heaven. If the first group is the Jewish the Jewish age folks or the people that come from the Old Testament, and the second group is the New Testament, the earth is constantly used as a type for Israel, whereas the sea is used as a type for Gentiles. Church comes out of where? Gentile nations. The pearl very much could be depicting the church, whereas the treasure would be depicting the Old Testament saints. And he says, I came and I paid the price because both were worth it. He gave everything he had. That is how valuable you are. Don't ever lose sight of how valuable you are to God. No matter who tells you that you are not valuable, you just go back to your word and remember, because we live by premises, not explanations. The Lord Jesus does not have to explain to you why you are more valuable, why you are so valuable to him. No one who's going to buy this car has to give, well, why do you think that car is worth this? Nope. All they want to do is see your money. That's it. There's promises. That's what we live by. Let's go on. We finish this on here in the dragnet because this, this kind of ties right in. Jesus goes right into it here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but through the better way. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, cast them into the fiery, the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So here in this one, we got the net, we got the sea, we got the good and the bad fish, we got the fishermen. They're not the focus, though. The fishermen are not the focus, and it's kind of odd that the, that the sower was the focus, and the enemy who sowed bad seed was the focus. Fishermen aren't the focus there. <clears throat> And they are not angels. The angels are the ones who come along and they are the ones who separate. But this is spoken to the disciples who were told they would be made into fishers of men. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Then Jesus said, you're going to be fishers of men. Now he says, all right, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's a dragnet. You're going to get out there with a dragnet and you're going to put that dragnet in. And a dragnet, you can, uh, the picture I have of a dragnet is you got two boats. You put the drag the net down in there. You drag it between the two boats and you catch everything that you can. And when you get everything caught up in there, you gather up the net and you dump it all out and you look at what you got. And in that, you're going to have some fish that'll sell and some fish that won't. You're going to have some fish that people want and some fish that people don't. And so what happens then is we sort them out. And so the ones that we don't want, well, everything in the net died. So the ones we don't want, we just burn them up. They're not going to be good for anything. But the other ones, we keep keep on. That's the example that he uses. What he's doing is he's, he's closing this off with this particular teaching. Do not concern yourself with who you are bringing into the kingdom. Be concerned with getting out there and getting them all. I don't care if you get the good or the bad. Just get out there and bring them on in. 
Don't be out there trying to figure out, is this good seed or bad seed? Is this good soil or is this bad soil? It doesn't make any difference. You go out there and you be in the dragnet and you bring them on in. And then in the end, you let the angels sort it out. Let the angels figure out, are they good or bad? Because sometimes we can look at people and say, oh, I don't, that's bad seed right there. I can tell right now that's bad. No, do not make that judgment. You are a dragnet. You are called to be a dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Get out there and just bring them on in. Because he says, I know that in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be some good and there's going to be some bad. We're going to have a little bit of both going on here. Now, the world was purchased not for its own sake, but for the treasure that was in it. When Jesus Christ came down here and paid the price for the world, he did not pay it for all the world. He paid for it for the treasure. He paid for it for the pearl that is there. That's the reason that he got the whole thing. He wants that special treasure. And so he bought the whole world, but all he wanted was the treasure. Now, the world has access, but... Most of the world won't, won't go after it. The treasure, though, those are the ones that are going to be sensitive to the things of God. The sower, take a look at all these, these parables that we looked here in this, this chapter. The sower, we have the good and the bad seed, right? I'm sorry, the good and the bad soil. The wheat and the tares, we have the good and the bad seed. The mustard seed, we have a good start, but nature, but the nature of it became altered. And it went from a herb to a tree. In the leaven, we have a pure beginning. Because we started with something that was unleavened. But the leaven was hid inside and it became something corrupted. It was a pure beginning, but the teaching would become corrupted. Despite all these negative things, what he is telling you here is, I still see it as a treasure. Despite all that negativity, I still see it as a treasure. Despite the bad, God saw the great value. <clears throat> and with the pearl, not, it's not something that all people will value. But it's something that the merchant valued, sought after, and went to look for and found it. And so then we have come here to the dragnet. All right, let's bring it all together. In the dragnet, you are going to be bringing up good soil. You're going to be bringing up people that are good soil. You're going to be bringing up people that are bad soil. In the dragnet, you're going to have some wheat and you're going to have some tares. Because that's what the dragnet's going to get. It's going to get some that are good and some that are bad. It's going to, in the dragnet, you're going to be bringing some things out in which some of, it, some of it is that mustard seed of faith, but some of it are the birds that are hiding out in the tree. Beside that, you're going to have the, the bread. You're going to have the teaching that's going to come out, but in some teaching, there's going to be hid leaven, which is going to permeate the whole thing. But despite that, God sees the church and the kingdom of God as good. And he gives the treasure and the pearl. And then he gives here the, the dragnet. Do not consider your, concern yourself with all the good and the bad. You go out there and you pursue everybody that you can. You sow all the seed that you can sow. Don't judge the soil. Don't judge whether an enemy is going to come by and put in bad seed over here. Just go out there and, and keep getting them. Well, I don't know if, I don't know about that one over there. <laughs> They're looking a little, a little funny to me. Don't be doing that. I put this in your outline for you. Like we said, don't let other people tell you what your value is. Kids especially, don't let other people. You're growing up and people are going to try and tell you things about yourself. Don't listen to them. You are valuable to the most important one, that is God. 
The value of anything is set by the one who values it the most. The value of anything is set by the one who values it the most. Your value will never be established by people who do not see value in you. Never take what they say as value. We've had a number of things that are going on. I am not a beer drinker. But if I was, I would certainly be on the boycott team of the Bud Light people. But they, uh, boy, I tell you what, the, the, the value of that has just gone down so much. Why? Did anything change on the front of what they make? Only thing that changed is what they did to their cans. What they did with the, what they put their support behind. I've seen videos going over at ballparks and they got the Bud Light stand over here, no line. And then people standing in line, number of dozens of people long at one of the other stands because they're bypassing this one. I've seen pictures over in the Costco of piles and piles of all Anheuser-Busch products next to piles of other companies that there is nothing that is there because the people have changed what they valued. I saw one of the Costco's, they actually had the thing priced. I don't know what it goes for to begin with, but whatever it was, they had it dip down to about $14 for a 36-can case, which I guess is cheap. And it still wasn't selling because of the, the value that is there. We also have people who will walk into malls and we have people that walk into churches and they start shooting people because they don't value the life of the person that they're shooting. And I heard Saturday there was another, another shooting that went out. What has to change is how <clears throat> is the, the value we show of people. And right now with all the things that have gone on in riots and all the things that people want to try and do in the area of racism, and we have a devaluing of people that are, well, I don't like this one because they believe this way. Well, they're conservative. Well, they're Democrat. Well, they're Republican. Well, they're this. And we devalue them because of these things. No, the value is not set by those things. The value is set by the maker. And we have to make sure that we do not follow suit with the world and that we change the valuation of the people that are around us. Because it is the angels several times here that are said to be the ones that will change. In the wheat and the tares, the angels will go in the end and they will determine which ones are the tares. And they will harvest them out then. Here, even in the dragnet, the angels will go. It's not my job. It is not my job to devalue anyone. So we have to make sure that we keep these parables in line with what he says. Yes, the church will become something it was never intended to be. Yes, teaching will go from what was pure to something that is impure and wrong. Yes, that will happen. But do not devalue the people that God has put his life out there for because he still sees there is a treasure and there is a pearl. And my goal is to make sure that I am in that group. And your goal should be the same. We want to make sure that we are in that group. If we begin to forget the value of the things that we were forgiven, we will forgive others less because we value it less. When I let other people's valuation of me matter the most, God's valuation of me will matter less. And when the seed of God's word is of the greatest value to me, its impact on me will be the greatest too. How you value a thing, how you value the word, 
what the Lord has, has says in so many parts in there. Don't tell me you value the word if you hear it and don't do it. It's not valuable to you. Don't tell me you value the word if you don't try and, and hear it. Don't tell me you value the word if you don't press in to understand what it says. Don't tell me that you value these things because he's telling you what you do will give away what you value. And these parables we looked at, we see the valuation that people will fall into. God can say, God says, I know your valuation. You can see mine. My valuation of you is high and that's why I died. That's why I lived this life down here on the earth. That's why I gave everything for you because I value you that much. Now I can also tell the same way what you value by the way that you put value into it. Make sure that you value what you were forgiven. Make sure you value his word. Make sure you value having these things in your life and make sure that his wisdom that he gives you is so valuable to you that you will do it at all costs. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. And we can remember the sacrifice that he did that culminated on the cross, but all through all the time that he was down here on this life and he lived apart from the Father. He lived this life to help us, to demonstrate to us, this is how you live the Christian life. This is what you do. Ask our ushers to begin to distribute the elements. The Word of God tells us that when we do this to make sure that we remember, let's remember what Christ did and to keep it at the top of our valuation. God, I value what you did in sending Jesus. Jesus, I value what you did in dying on the cross for me. I value what you did in giving me forgiveness. And because of those things, I will show that value in the things that I do for other people and how I operate and how I walk with other people. I will demonstrate that same kind of valuation. What does your life show that is most valuable to you? Now, we showed a lot about cars here today, and there are some people that cars are the most valuable things to them in the world. They're more, invaluable, they're more valuable than people. I know we don't have those in this room. Some people like cars more than others. But what is it that your life shows that you value? What is it that you put your time into? What is it that you put your attention into? What is it that you're the most mindful of to make sure it's operating in your life? The Lord Jesus showed us in his life and ministry down here and in his death on the cross, he showed us what is the most valuable thing most valuable thing to him is you. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember. Upon Jesus' body was put our sickness and disease. He broke the curse that was over us through the beating that his body took. Let's remember that today. The end of supper. He took the cup. This represents 
blood of the new covenant. No longer do we have to keep bringing sacrifices. Now we just receive the sacrifice of his blood. You were so valuable to him that he wanted to do this for you. As we drink, let's remember together the sacrifice that he did for us. Father, we thank you for the wonderful way that you demonstrated how much we are valued by you. That our value is not set by what the devil values us. Our value is not set by what the world values us as. Our friends, our relatives, the people that are close to us and the things they may have spoken over us, that doesn't set our value. Our value is set by the highest bidder in the actions that they have done. We thank you for the actions of Jesus Christ toward us. That he was the highest bidder. He gave his all. That tells us that we are valuable. And that we have value. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The enemy tries to come into your head and tell you anything different. Make sure you take authority over that. Because for you to entertain thoughts of how little value you actually have is to devalue the things that God has done. Don't do that. Remember what it was that he did. Tomorrow we have a teaching coming out for you. Um, I haven't done Charles Caps in a while. I think we only really did one Charles Caps. And I was listening to a number of different things and nothing really jumped out at me for, for doing that. So we have a, there's a series that Brother Charles Caps does. And if you listen to, Joe, to uh, Charles Caps, you know there's really only one thing he teaches them. And that is the words of your mouth. He teaches it in so many different ways. But he's out there teaching on this. It's actually a four-part series. I have all four parts. I put two parts up there on our YouTube page. If it garners enough interest from you, we can go and I can put part three and part four up. But I've got all, all four parts to it. The two first two parts are up there. They're loaded up on the YouTube page. If you get the text message, you'll get a text with both of them in it. If you go up on Facebook, you'll see both of those. But again, if you use the Facebook link, it's going to have you view it through Facebook, which is a lot more difficult want to get on the text list just let me know we'll text it out to you and you can get that it's just you know that one will take you right to the youtube site and it's much easier to watch it on youtube than it is on facebook so that will be coming up for you you can watch watch those hope you enjoy it and uh, leave some of your comments about those wednesday we have the, uh, the next uh, chapter five of zechariah and if you read over chapter five of zechariah you may be scratching your heads of what in the world does this have anything to do with and so read it over and we'll get together here on Wednesday and go over that. The Bacons, as we said, this is their last Sunday here. Um, let's just pray over them as we go. They're kind of scattered all over here. Father, we just thank you for a safe trip on the train ride down and on the drive back that they have and all the time that they're there, that you, your angels, are watching over them, keeping them safe for all the time that they're gone, for all the things they get to, to do and enjoy as a family. Thank you for them and for the wonderful benefit they are to every service that we have. We know that you'll be watching over them and taking care of them. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, y'all have a great rest of the day. We'll see some of you here on Wednesday night.